1: Hello, this is Lily Gorin with the New Books Network, the New Books and Political Science podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jeffrey meltreder Drury and Sarah meltreder Drury, who are the editors of Rhetoric, Politics, and Hamilton, an American musical. This book was published by Peter Lang, publisher, in a particular series that I'm going to let um, Jeff and Sarah talk a, a little bit about. First, I'd like to welcome um, Jeff and Sarah to the podcast and ask them to tell us a little bit about themselves personally and how they came to a project about the musical Hamilton because we all love the musical Hamilton and this is a great book to sort of learn a little bit more about how this musical is now positioned within our public discourse and what it's teaching us about the founding as well. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast, Jeff and Sarah.
0: Thank you, we appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, I'm uh, happy to talk a little bit about the inception of the project and then um, Sarah will talk a little bit about her role in in it as well. So I'm Associate Professor of Rhetoric at Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And my program of research is really interested in political communication, broadly conceived. Uh, I also am a fan of Hamilton, uh, actually through Sarah, she's the one that introduced me to the musical And uh, as I'd been listening to it and uh, I got the opportunity to see it in Chicago, it occurred to me as a scholar of argumentation in particular that Hamilton's mode of arguing is not very productive in terms of the way I teach it, say, in in the argumentation debate class. And so I prepared a paper on it for a conference, the International Society for the Study of Argumentation um, Conference, and uh, after I presented it, one of the other uh, people at the conference who's in the audience asked me if I had interest in editing a book on Hamilton because he had a a project he'd been working on. To be honest, I hadn't thought about it and I was looking for a next project to work on. And um, so he and I talked and uh, decided that it might be an interesting way to go. And so we did an initial call for chapters and I was surprised, but not really surprised at the, uh, the, response to that, as you can imagine, as you said, a lot of people love Hamilton, a lot of different ideas, um, and so it seemed like it was a viable option. Given the number of uh, submissions, that's when I decided to bring Sarah in. I'll I'll turn to her to talk about her part in the project.
2: Thanks. So uh, I'm Sarah Melcheter-Drury, and I am also an associate professor of rhetoric at Wabash College. I also serve as director of Wabash Democracy and Public Discourse, which is a program that promotes productive communication across differences. I teach and research in politics and religion and democracy. And I think, you know, when when we were thinking about this project, Jeff mentioned that, you know, I I was a fan, I guess, first of Hamilton. Um, I learned about the musical in its early days. I am a huge fan of musical theater and hadn't really thought a lot about how it connected to my teaching and research uh, until this show, right? And I remember seeing the early reviews of the show, my interest was piqued, I had pl- a planned trip to the East Coast in the fall of 2015, and so I did see Hamilton in early November. And I just want to pause for a moment on that, because I do think that's part of the the purpose for this book, when we think about that show right, premiering in 2015 um, in in that Broadway season. And when I saw the show in the first week of November, the cast album had come out about a month earlier, and you could feel that the show was about to become, I don't know, the the show where it happened, right? The week before I saw the show was when the producers had announced that they were going to do this education initiative and bring thousands of students to matinee performances. President Obama was, of course, a huge fan of the show. And I think it was the month before where he had the remark that, you know, Michelle and I love this show. It's the only thing Dick Cheney and I agree on. Um, And so when I saw the show, like the crowd was into it. Right. But it was still sort of new. It wasn't, it wasn't quite becoming, I came back, you know, we live in Indiana and I came back and I was talking about it to everyone and people were interested, but it, I remember vividly things changing after the Grammys in 2016. And during the Grammys, I started getting a number of text messages and emails from students who I had talked about because I was teaching some of the songs as part of one of my rhetoric courses, thinking about rhetoric, polit- rhetoric, politics and culture. And I started getting these text messages. Like, is this what you were talking about? This is so cool. And when Lin-Manuel Miranda performed his acceptance speech for winning the Grammy as a rap, then the, the number of text messages went up. Right. And so that is, I mention all this to say, I think that it's, we have to remember that's where this show started is this kind of building movement from musical theater and people who are theater fans, right, into politics and pop culture. Um, and it it feels like, right, that this show has the has the potential, right, to speak to the politics of our moment and, and to be one of these kind of cultural icons in history. And so in 2017, 2018, when Jeff was thinking about an edited volume that looked at rhetoric and the musical, I was all in. I had been using it, as I mentioned, as an example in my courses. And I had just come off editing a special issue focusing on political rhetoric and the 2016 election. And I really enjoyed editorial work. And so you know, creating an edited volume is such a great opportunity because you get to connect with a variety of scholars who are bringing their own perspectives to the same topic. And they're articulating their ideas and insights about this topic, which in our case is of course, Hamilton, the musical. And it was so rewarding to see the chapters come together and offer insights across several different areas uh, relating to the musical. And,
1: and again, the way you're talking about it, I, I, I didn't get to see it in Broadway, but I have, the minute I heard the music, I started to play it in my classes because, of course, I teach a lot of Federalist Papers. And when you've got, you've got musicals about the Federalist Papers, <laughs> like your life is complete. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it, it was, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing in that regard for many of us who teach American Politics and Government. Um, in, in so many ways. This book is part of a series from Peter Lang, and I just wanted to ask you a little, just a side question about that series itself and how you chose to pursue the opportunity to publish in this particular series at Peter Lang.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the series is called Frontiers in Political Communication, and it's edited by Mitchell McKinney and Mary Stuckey. And uh, part of the reason why we chose it is that Mary Stuckey herself is a huge fan of the musical. I don't think she would be uh, ashamed of me divulging that information. Uh, But also because um, we know that this is a series that's really interested in thinking about where politics is lurking, maybe in uh, new domains of life or in places that we might not really think about it. And so this seemed like a natural fit for the scope of our specific Uh, focus of Hamilton, thinking about how Hamilton uh, rhetorically communicates messages about political life in the United States, both then and now. And so it just really worked as a, a fit for what we were looking to do.
2: And the series looks, it's also committed to bringing scholarship out quickly. And the topics of the other books in the series, as well as ours, they're really timely. So they're Another, vol- another book in the series looks at memes and Make America Meme Again, right? Another book looks at online communication during the, the 2016 election, right? So the idea is bringing scholarship out quickly so that we can have discussions in our classrooms with our friends, right, about the implications for political life and public discourse,
1: and, and thanks for that, because I, I was really delighted when I you know first heard about this book from, from Mary Stuckey and and wanted to talk to the two of you about it and, and read the book itself, because it's a series that she had noted. And I, I'm glad that you were able to sort of position this book in that Frontiers in Political Communication series at Peter Lang. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the broad sort of overview of this book, which is titled "Rhetoric, Politics, and Hamilton: An American Musical," and in sort of going through the book, there's a there are three sections that you sort of structure the book around in terms of the contributing chapters. Um, one is about public memory. One is about rhetoric and social identity, um, and one is about rhetoric of democracy and social change. So, if we think about this musical. Lynn Manuel Miranda wrote most of the, the words too and, and a lot of the music and so forth. How do we sort of understand it in context of these sort of classifications or themes that are in the book?
0: I think that as we were dividing the submissions, initially it's it was well, worth noting, right, that these divisions are somewhat artificial, right? So there are chapters in the social identity section that connect to public memory and you know democracy is underlying all of it. And so uh, you know, this is kind of an organizing tool for us to think about what's the emphasis of these various chapters. As I mentioned, we had a lot of phenomenal submissions, uh, potential for the, the volume and we had to pick and choose. Initially, uh, we had thought there might be a section on pedagogy, for instance, thinking about how people are teaching. Um, But then it it occurred to us that really what people wanted to think about was how does Hamilton communicate about basically what it means to live in U.S. society? And part of that is reflecting back on our history. So the public memory section is thinking about how does Hamilton tell or retell the founder's narrative and, and the messages related to uh, what it means to become a country, what it means to uh, found this specific country, thinking about questions also related to uh, topics like slavery. So the public memory is really uh, thinking about the lessons from history that we take for today. The social identity section looks at uh, questions related to the groundbreaking elements of this musical that people often point to thinking about things like race And uh, also gender is included in that thinking about how Hamilton represents um, these aspects of of identity, what it means to be an American. And then the final one looks at how Hamilton communicates messages about what it means to live in society. How do we enact our citizenship um, or how do we live as members of a political community? And so, uh, again, the the ideas or the themes might emerge across all the chapters, but each of the chapters within those units have a a special emphasis on that that particular question. Sarah, I don't know if you want to add anything.
2: I guess I'll I'll just emphasize that what connects all the chapters is a focus on rhetoric or public discourse and the ways that Communication, right? Our understanding of politics, of popular culture, of history comes through different aspects of the musical. Then also, right, how the musical relates to aspects of the things I just mentioned history, culture, politics. And so it is taking the perspective of scholars looking at that flow between different areas of communication and uh, different areas of communication and public life.
1: And, and again, you know, I'm trained as a political scientist, the two of you are trained in communication, there is great connection between these areas, obviously. Um, and, and so for those who are, who are trained in other things who might be listening, um, can you just flesh out a little bit about how rhetoric and communication are the framework Um, disciplinary framework, shall we say, um, for the analysis that distinguishes the analysis potentially from history or even political science?
2: So when we talk about rhetoric or communication, I think a lot of people might immediately go towards a negative connotation of rhetoric. And the field of rhetorical studies is much more interested in the ways that different forms of communication, so verbal, nonverbal, right, dance, performance in this case, give us meaning and understanding. They create connections or areas of disconnection between audiences, between groups of people. And so the scholars using what we call rhetorical criticism, it's a critical and interpretive method of research. So what does that mean? it means that the authors in this volume are taking a close analytical look at an artifact. So that might be a song in the show. It might be a set of newspaper articles about the show. It might be a museum exhibit about the show. They're taking a look at that artifact and bringing an understanding of how that artifact speaks to a set of audiences. And this type of methodology is ideally suited, I think, for Hamilton because we've seen over the last five, six years how the show connects, engages, and frustrates a variety of audiences. And so an edited volume with all these different perspectives starts to get at the different ways that the show is impacting our society, our politics, and our culture and really with that emphasis on what's being communicated here. How is meaning and understanding being created and shared across these audiences?
0: Yeah, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but I also think part of what we wanted to do with this volume was to recognize the importance of taking popular culture artifacts seriously, to say that you know it's not just a musical, right? There is a lot going on here both within the performance itself, but also as it expands outside with the fandom, with the memes, with the protests that uh, that use lyrics, things like that. Um, And so with the significant following this musical has among youth and among uh, all segments of society, we really wanted to sit down and say, what's going on here and why does it matter for our understanding of these various elements?
1: Yeah, and and you're right in terms of talking to me about preaching to the choir in terms of recognizing and taking popular culture seriously because that's kind of what I do too. Um, yeah. But I understand also that not everybody does. Um, so it's good to once again emphasize that there's a lot of uh, communication and. Connection that's going on in the way that this is filtering into society, our culture, um, our understanding of America, as you note throughout the book, um, and and sort of shifting some thinking about our understanding of America. I mean, one of the, the points that I found most intriguing is thinking about the uh, sort of American myth. Um, and, and sort of the American dream, the American myth, and how Hamilton sort of goes there and also steps away from it. Um, and I, 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 I'm always intrigued by uh, trying to think about the American dream in a lot of different contexts. Um, and so in terms of, you know, what we learn from Hamilton, what did you learn <laughs> from pulling this book together? Um, from your own contributions to it, as well as, you know, what the authors that ultimately contributed to it, what, what did you take away from that you, that was distinct and more than what you saw when you first encountered the musical yourselves?
2: There are so many ways we could answer this question. And I think without going through every single chapter, because each of our authors brought such a unique and, insightful contribution, but I, I'll start maybe with history and, and maybe Jeff, Jeff and I can go back and forth on some of the things we've learned. But I really, this is a edited volume that takes the historical events, the historical documents just as seriously as the current pop culture musical and brings those two elements into conversation. And a couple chapters stand out with that. You know, I think about um, Brandon in Abenit's chapter, which looks, which pairs right the the numbers at the start of Act Two in Hamilton, which is where we're seeing the cabinet, we're seeing the gov- you know the federal government as we know it being formed, and he pairs that with a historical documentation of pamphlets from that period to talk about how governing and lawmaking was a public act that actually had a lot of private things being hidden and a lot of the things being hidden uh, relate to elements of what we might call civic virtue and hide some of the pro the very problematic parts of our historical founding and past and that's an example i think where you watch the show and you're seeing the battles and they're fun and what brandon's chapter does is it it says to us let's Let's pair this with what happened in history to come to a fuller understanding of how that section of the show is evolving. And I think, I think that's an example of where history really, really speaks to us. And while I'm on history, I would go back to the, it's I guess our lead uh, analysis chapter, chapter two, Jade Hewell and Lindsay Jenkins offer a fascinating reading to me of, they argue that history is a character in Hamilton as much as Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr and Eliza Hamilton, that history is a character because the characters on stage that we see are constantly talking about history. They're talking about history and legacy. And, and so they are using a lens of what they call critical nostalgia. So this idea that we think about memory as a way to come home to ourselves and our identities. And of course, that's always shifting, right? And, th- and that's part of what they trace through the show, through the performance, the choreography, the lyrics, the choice of actors. Um, they argue that history, the character in the show, is recreated, right, to, in- to be more inclusive, but that this critical understanding of that inclusivity, it acknowledges that Uh, And they, I want to read from their chapter, because this I do think is really powerful. Um, They write that audiences are allowed their place in the original story of Homeland through the history, rather than, right, the known and felt realities of America's complex and violent past. And so their perspective is that history is shifting, right? And we can, they can stand in both places of seeing themselves in Homeland, right, in Hamilton, in history, but also, right, acknowledging it's not—it's not all great, and and we have to grapple with that tension. And and the musical invites us to grapple with that in new ways. And so I think those are just two examples of how, hist—the framework of thinking about rhetoric and history—gives us new insights to how different audiences are receiving the musical and the meaning that we can take from it.
0: Yeah, and some of the things that I. Really learned from through reading this is as a a textual critic myself. I go inward into the musical, and I just have loved the chapters that think about how the musical connects outside to other elements or facets. Uh, So a a couple that come to mind: Chapter Five, uh, Christopher Bell's chapter on Hamilton as cosmogonic myth, where he argues that uh, the story about Alexander Hamilton is actually a superhero origin story. And that was, uh, to me, you know, something I hadn't even thought about. Um, And and what's fascinating is that, you know, he says it's more of uh, what he would call a Spider-Man origin story than a Superman origin story insofar as, you know, the hero is not all good in the way that Superman is, that there there are nuances and, and differences that um, challenge our understanding of what it means to be a hero as it relates to then that broader founding story of the American myth. Um, I also really appreciate the work that Mark Orby and Nancy Legg did uh, near the end where they're thinking about how Hamilton circulates as a form of discourse. So how does Obama, um, Obama's rhetoric about Hamilton, the episode with, Mike Pence, where he visits the show and then is sort of spoken to and and criticized the uh, Trump administration's policies are criticized, how those episodes then are reflected in our political discourse. Uh, So for instance, Nancy Legge, she looked at protests surrounding the Trump administration uh, and how they used Hamilton lyrics and the, the way that those lyrics functioned to communicate messages. Uh, And what's fascinating, and I think has taken on perhaps a a new salience in light of January 6th, is that none of the use of Hamilton justified violent reaction, even though that was the context of the American Revolution, was, was very much violent. And her argument was that they were using that language, but not actually advocating violence. They were advocating very much a peaceful resistance. And... And the way that that then undercut to some degree the potency of their arguments is, I think, a fascinating thing to think about, uh, again, especially as it reflects the contemporary society that we live in.
1: Um, And in terms of sort of thinking about the way that Hamilton has circulated as rhetoric and political discourse, which is a lot of what the emphasis of the book is also about, um, and, and you, you note that, you know, the way that it was used by protests that were not violent, but, you know, obviously the entire first half of the musical is about violent revolution. Um, and then, of course, the second half of the musical is incredibly tragic. Um, yeah. uh-huh. Those of you, spoiler for those of you who haven't seen it, sorry. <laughs> um, and, and so in terms of how we think about Hamilton in the zeitgeist, in our culture, um, you know, the terminology, like the room where it happened is just now a line that everybody uses all the time. Um, how, how does some of the research that your authors did, how does that frame our sort of consumption of this product and the integration of so much of it um, now into our lives?
2: Your question is interesting, and it's something that we struggled with as we were editing the book, because initially I thought when you said Hamilton, we were talking about the historic figure of Hamilton. We could also be talking about the character of Alexander Hamilton as portrayed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which I think is, especially now that it is available through streaming, is, is kind of the dominant interpretation, right, of that character or we could be talking about the show as a whole. And, and just right there, the fact that we use the word Hamilton, right, to mean those different things, and, and there are other, right, connotations as well, I think is the start to the answer of your question, which is the show has created nuance and, and complexity and allows for critical uh, you know, engagement of history, um but also right of i think our current politics so i'll i'll start there i don't know jeff if you want to jump in with a little more
0: yeah i think you know what i i want this volume to do for people who read it is to help them i guess think more critically maybe about what's going on in the musical to see it in a different light to approach it in a way that maybe they hadn't in the past and so you know, it does pervade our, our culture. And I think the challenge becomes that we can then become numb to it, right? We just sort of sing along or we sort of hum the tune or we say, oh, I know that reference, right? And we, we lose sight of the deeper meaning making that's happening within that moment. Uh, and so, you know, some of the phrases are very loaded. And so if we take the room where it happens, right? That's the, that is the phrase that Navnet's working with in his chapter, right? And saying, well, let's unpack what does this mean to talk about that? You know, or similarly, you know, I think about, again, some of the gender dynamics in the show, right. The, um, you know, including Emily women in the Berg sequel. Poups.
2: Yeah. I mean, Emily Berg Paup's chapter, right. Which, which, and, and Emily and I have talked about this, right. That you, you watch the show and it's, it's exciting and the numbers are really catchy in act one with the female characters and you know she brings right a feminist critique to the show despite and again i know she would be okay with me saying this right being a fan of the show but recognizing when we look at these care at the women characters in the show right the the women are portrayed in a subservient role that very much echoes historical themes of republican motherhood and we don't qu- question that right in the show very much and her chapter I think is an example of what Jeff was just saying, that it, it challenges us as readers to say, what more can we learn from this show? What can we learn about what it means, how it's speaking to us today? What can we learn about our history from the ways that the speaking to us today doesn't necessarily match maybe with our understanding of, of where we would like to be? And so I think that's part of what the chapters in this volume can do for the reader. is is continue that conversation. And so if you're a fan of the show and you've run out of people to talk about the show with because they've watched it and you still wanna think about it and talk about it, this is a book for you. Uh, Because as editing this volume, that's the way I felt. Like it just, it let us live in the show for longer and think about how is it impacting our society today?
0: Yeah, and one other thing I'll note too, is that I know there are a number of different volumes out there about Hamilton. and history has become a very predominant theme in a lot of the research, so how does Hamilton connect to the historical events? You know, Is it real? Is it true? Et cetera. And I will admit that our volume doesn't spend as much time with that question. That's less important to us than what is it doing rhetorically uh, as it reflects a perhaps true or false or revised version of history. And so I, I think it offers a different angle than a lot of the other published research that's out there about Hamilton as well.
1: Yeah, and, and I and again, you also talk about the book does talk about the history around the around Hamilton and around the revolution, obviously. But um, it's it's not necessarily the focus, even though as you note, know, one of the chapters does think about history as a character in the show, which I thought was an amazing and and sort of new way to con- consider not only what's being portrayed, but also, as you note, the sort of lines that are used again and again and again, um, particularly in the first half when they're talking about like, we're doing this for history. Um, and that's, that's in so much of the vernacular of the show is, you know, thinking about the historical understanding. Um and one of the points that was brought up in one of the chapters—I'm sorry, I can't remember which one right now—is that Hamilton is the unknown founder <laughs> because, in part, he didn't become president. Um, and and so before the musical, people kind of knew him, and I would, you know, tell students about he's on the money, even though he wasn't president. Um, And, and he was featured in a Snickers ad some years back too, or Aaron Burr was featured in a Snickers ad some years back. Um, But this idea that this musical was possible because he's not George Washington. Can you talk a little bit about that thesis as well?
2: Sure. I... I think you've you've hit on something, right? That unless you were somebody that was teaching American politics, right, political communication, you might not be encountering Alexander Hamilton as much. Those of us that read the Federalist Papers for fun, sure. sure, But (laughs) other than that, right? And so there's an imaginative space, right, around Hamilton. And, you know, I think that's what, when you read interviews about the development of this show, if you uh, go back to the, right, performance by Lynn manuel Miranda at the White House, kind of the lore of Hamilton, the show. Um, you know, the show is making an argument about who Hamilton was, right? That he's young, scrappy, and hungry, just like the young country, right? Uh, to, to kind of take those lyrics. So it's, right, the show is able to articulate a characterization of Hamilton that creates understandings of what how we think of the founders. That creates understandings of what our leadership should be in politics, and I, I'll draw on here. I think Jeff's chapter because it's weird to talk about. We both have chapters in the book. But it's a little odd to talk about your own chapter. So I'll, I'll draw on his chapter. Mm-hmm. Right, you know when Jeff said he was interested in the argument after we saw the show together, we we talked. As political communication people, right, we talked about that, that really Hamilton's way of arguing is is not what we teach our students about productive argumentation and how to create compromise in government and how do we move forward or, or even how do we advocate well for a position we really care about in an ethical way. And yet, right, the show is telling this melodramatic narrative that leaves you feel, right, leaves you with uh particular emotions towards the founders and towards Hamilton. And so I think because Hamilton was not as well known there was more space for articulating a characterization that then right in has the potential to impact and and challenge some of our notions of the that right revolutionary war period and and so on. And so uh yeah and and I guess I would say too. I mean it's it's There are other volumes, as Jeff was saying, that really explore some of the historical features, but I think as a ethos experiment, to use the rhetoric term, right? That Hamilton in the music, so the character of Alexander Hamilton in the musical has a particular ethos uh, that is, that relates to the way we think about the American dream, as you mentioned, that relates to the way we think about conflict in our current political climate, right? Do you, do you just keep pushing your point forward? Do you find ways to compromise, right? The idea that compromise is a little bit of a shady thing, it connects to our ideas about, about what counts as hard work, right? Or, or kind of that, that in, uh, it connects to immigration narratives. And so because he wasn't as well known, right, the ethos can be established through the show and connect to all these current political issues, and concerns of the audiences here in the 21st century.
0: I mean, I think it's also important to note that it's musical theater, right? So there needs to be some action, some drama, right? And so uh, quite frankly, a musical about George Washington might be inspiring, but you're not going to have a sex scandal. You're not going to have death in a duel. You're not going to have all of the salaciousness that surrounds the Hamilton story. And I think that's part of it too, is that Uh, You know, you use tragedy as a a, a descriptor for the second half, you know, and I think that uh, that story element, the drama element behind it makes for uh, fun storytelling that actually captures audiences attention in a way that Washington retiring to Mount Vernon just might not cut it, you know.
1: And of course, there's lots of scandal around Jefferson, but Jefferson is so complicated in, in our sort of mind's eye as Americans that um, Hamilton is more of a blank slate.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I will admit now that, um, you know, I think what, what is happening to some degree is that it's hard to separate the performances in the musical from the characters. And so, you know, David Diggs will forever be Jefferson in my mind. So when I think about, you know, a musical about Jefferson, I just, you know it doesn't doesn't work for me i
1: i understand i understand i mean for a while a lot of these characters were in my mind's eye as the the folks who played them in the adams uh, john adams um uh presentation miniseries miniseries. and so now they those images have now been replaced by the ones from hamilton so um and 1776 never stuck uh, because it, it it was too cheesy um, so, so I think these, these presentations are what's filling my brain in terms of how I think about these characters now um, so are the two of you working on another fabulously fabulous uh, popular culture project or something completely different I
2: think for us, this was a great nexus of politics and pop culture and rhetoric and brought together our particular interests in research. We, you know, I guess if if the next Hamilton comes along, uh, which I feel like, gosh, aren't we all try- hoping that there's a revival of the arts uh, that connect these sorts of things? Uh, you know, I think there's potential there. But for us, it really did speak to a, a particular set of research questions that, rhetorical scholars that this understanding of discourse could answer.
0: Yeah. And again, at, at heart, we are fans of the musical first. That was what brought us to this project to even consider it, right? We, I would never have written a chapter on it if I didn't actually care about uh, the musical itself. And so, yeah, I think, you know, there may be opportunities for that sort of work in the future. But as Sarah said, as of now, we haven't really uh, pinned something down like that. Well, wow.
2: I often tell my student, students that you you study something because you're, you know, a couple of reasons. So one is like, you're trying, you know, you're mad and you're trying to figure out like, what is happening here, right? You you study it because you're interested and in, in you're confused, like what, how is this working? Or you study it because you love it, but you also maybe are trying to understand it in a deeper way. And, and I think for us, this project fell into that last one, right? It, it you know, we enjoyed the musical. We carried with us our own, right, understandings of American history and how they were conflicting with some aspects of the musical, even in our, you know, standing up, sit right at the end of the show, um, you know, standing ovation at the end, we still brought our own critical understanding to it. And so this project really comes out of that spirit of recognizing our enjoyment of, of this Incredible work of art, which is which is a, what I you know would say, but also right. Let's have a conversation about how it's impacting and relating to some of the more challenging aspects of our politics and culture today.
1: Yeah, and that's what I found really useful uh, in the book is that it, they threaded through to like how do we think about the impact of the founding narrative um, in today's discourse. How do we think about, as you note, the the issues around, in particular, um, the Republican motherhood that isn't disrupted by the musical, whereas the issues of race are disrupted? Um, And I was really intrigued by that, in part because Eliza does have the last word (laughs) in the musical. And she's the one who's carrying on the legacy, but it very much is a Republican motherhood conclusion.
2: It's his legacy, yeah, right, it's not and, hers. Um, <laughs> and 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 that does right, even as yes, that final song is beautifully from a musical theater fan. And this is when I put on that hat, right. It's beautifully composed it, it hits you right there um, and and I know I'm not alone in that because I look around when we see it and people are crying right um, and and you feel that but you're right it, it's it's still very much the historical notion of Republican motherhood it's his legacy that she is carrying forth um, and and what does that what does that say right to to how we how we reflect on this musical in this moment, but also, I guess, to, to invoke the how will history reflect on this musical? Did it do enough, right? And I think that's you know paraphrasing a little bit of the end there. Um, does this musical do enough? And and I think our author, the authors in this volume are grappling with that, right? They're they were it, I was as you said I think just really humbled by. Their abilities to bring back their understanding of aspects of the musical to current issues like immigration, like protests um, around elections, like you know the the pop culture myths of our time, and and to say this is this is what history is going to reflect on in five decades and a hundred years as we look back on this period.
0: Yeah, and I do think one of the the things maybe worth noting too for the listeners out there is that. If you are planning to read this book because all you want to hear is praise about the musical, then don't read this book. Because the reality is every single one of the authors in this book is a fan of the musical. They would not have written a chapter about it if they weren't. But every single one also recognizes that there are some troubling questions or ideas posed within the musical that encourage us to maybe think a little bit more critically about um, what's happening. And so it's not full-on cancel culture, you know, but... It is an effort to complicate, I think, and that is for me what I have um, loved in, in a lot of the chapters that um, you know that they have really complicated my understanding of what's going on.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you that that it is it is to complicate our thinking about the music, about the character arcs, about the narrative itself, about its relationship to actual history, um, and so forth. So. I am so appreciative that the two of you had the opportunity to create this volume with your awesome contributors. Um, So I appreciate that and the chance to read it and to talk to you about it. Um, And I I recommend it to those who are fans of Hamilton. Um, The musical, the guy, whatever, you know, the money, it's up to you. (laughs) Um, But I want to thank um jeff Meltreder drury and sarah Meltreder drury who are the editors of rhetoric politics and hamilton an american musical published by peter lang in 2021 i assume everybody can buy this at the peter lang website is there a brick and mortar store perhaps with an online presence that you would like to give a shout out to
2: so we would encourage anyone to go to their own brick-and-mortar bookstore. I get, We are in Indiana, and if you go to bookshop.org, you could support Indie Reads, which is a great brick-and-mortar bookstore in Indianapolis, Indiana, that supports reading initiatives in uh, K-12 education.
1: Great. Thank you. And Bookshop is um, connected to the New Books Network on the website. So... People have really easy access to using that as the mechanism to purchase this book, should they want to. Um, I just want to thank Sarah and Jeffrey for joining me today to talk about rhetoric, politics, and Hamilton, and American musical. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.